This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Preparation through stewardship, getting our financial affairs in order. If you were able to tune into our Next Generation service, you, you got a little glimpse or a preview of some of the material that we're going to be covering today. We're going to go so much in a little bit more detail on some of the teachings this morning. But, you know, you, you, you understood that, that we, we pointed out that God has a desire for us to have our financial affairs in order. That that's not something that he's overlooking. That as we have our as we have our prayer time set aside, as we have our devotion time set aside, that God is also concerned that we have our financial affairs, our houses set in order. So let's go to our anchor scripture. Go to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And a lot of times when we talk about getting our financial affairs in order. You know, I realize in teaching this that, that, that I'm also going to be teaching you some of the things that go against what you've heard from popular teachers of this day. I may actually be teaching you some things that go against what your, what your parents or grandparents may have counseled you about financial affairs. And so, so I, I, I recognize that. And so what I want you to do is what I want you to do is I want you to uh, we, we, we talk, I was talking to someone before about, you know, how do, how do you get people to, to go back and, and to really hear something that they, don't, that they don't want to hear? How do you get people to, to open up their hearts and to open up their ears when they believe that they already know? And so what I want you to do for just a few minutes, just a few minutes, I'm here, you're there in the safety of your homes. I just want you to trust I just want you to trust. And I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm asking you for just a few minutes to trust the Word of God. Trust the Scriptures and what they say. You know, if, if, if what you've heard in the past, if the instruction that you received before doesn't line up to what the Scripture says, then just be prepared. Trust in what the Scripture says. Be prepared to adjust yourself. That when, when the Bible says that you need to change, be prepared to say, you know what, I'm ready to make that change. If, if, if what you're saying is in the scripture and it says that I need to make adjustments to my finances, to the way that I order my home, I'm willing to make that adjustment. So just for a few, just for a few minutes, let's trust. And so as we get started in Philippians chapter 2, one of the things that, that, um, that, that I like about this particular passage of scripture is that for me, it represents what, 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 what I heard in popular society as being the millionaire mind. The millionaire mind, millionaire mind. And a lot of people, that, that's, that's, it's catchy, you know, it's got the, the M words, you know, it kind of has a, a sense to it. Million sounds like something that everybody wants to have, you know, that's desirable. It's not, it's not saying trillions or billions, which people feel are unattainable, but it's, it's, it's the millionaire mind said, what is this thing that, 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 I, that I should have, that, that, that I can attain, that I can, that I can strive for? And so this, to me, is the, is the millionaire mind in, in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to start at verse 
4. And what I, the reason why I'm starting at verse 4 is because I want you to understand that this scripture is specifically talking about your material things. Uh, so often when we look at these scriptures, we, we, we try to isolate them and try to, to, to put them in their own box. As though one thing doesn't refer to another and one thing is not connected to another. But this particular scripture, it says in verse 4, it says, Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so it's saying, don't just be concerned about your own personal well-being. Don't be concerned about your own personal situation. And so this is definitely your, your natural your temporal situation, but consider the situations of other people. In verse 5 it says, Let this mind be in you. This is the millionaire mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. It took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And so when we, when we look at this, that we see that the mind that should be in us, this, this mind of Christ Jesus, is one that considers not our current condition. It says that Jesus was found in, in, the, in the form of God. So he had all of the ability, all the power. He had all of the privileges and the rights but he didn't consider those things to be something to exalt himself above God. He didn't consider that to be something that would place him outside of the relationship, outside of the union. And so we cannot allow our abilities, our privileges, our rights to exalt us and to place us outside of the relationship, outside of the community, outside of the union with the Holy Father. And it says that, that, that what he did is that he took all of that and he made himself of zero reputation. That he humbled himself and he took on the form that would be most suitable for us. That would be most instructive for us. The form that would be most beneficial for us to imitate and to emulate. And that was the form of a servant. That was the form of the servant. And this is the likeness that, that we as men, that we ourselves should take on, the form of the servant. Now, when we talk about this particular teaching, my objective is to give you some practical instructions on how to prepare for what's coming next. By getting your financial affairs in order. And so again, we're going to be talking about some things that, that, are, that are foundational to lay the, the bedrock and the, the principles that you yourselves can live by. We're also going to go into some, some deeper practical instruction about what you need to be thinking about over the next 60 days, over the next 90 days, to get your financial affairs in order. Don't think that this is a message for you to put on a shelf and to come back six months from now and consider again. This is a message for you to write down and to say, these are actions that I am able to take, that I need to take 
right now. Because now is the time for preparation. Now is the time for preparation. You get ready for the storm before the storm arrives. Otherwise, when a storm is upon you, you find yourself subject to the whims of the winds and the waves. So you, you prepare for the challenge before the time of challenge. Because when, 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 the, when, the, fight, when, the, when the battle begins, now that's not the time to prepare. That, then is the time to act. Then is the time to execute. Then is the time to pull from the store that you've laid in in order to meet the challenge that is before you. And so when we're talking about servanthood, the, what, one of the things that we want to talk about is this concept of stewardship. Preparation through stewardship. Preparation through stewardship. Preparation through stewardship. So what is stewardship? Stewardship is caring for someone else's property with the goal of improving that property. The steward says that, that I have a responsibility for that which is not my own. I have a responsibility for resources that don't belong to me. And my responsibility is to improve that for the master's use. To improve it for the master's use. Stewardship is administration. And that's conducting. It's supervising. It's the management of what has been entrusted into your care. When we talk about care, that means that, that what, what, what's been given to me, I consider to be of great value. I consider the master's possessions to be of, of great value. That is not something to be marginalized. It's not something to be devalued. I'm not going to allow the world's opinion of what God has given to me to define the value of that thing. I'm not going to allow even my own self-esteem issues to devalue what God has placed into my hands, to what God has made me a steward over. I'm going to consider it what God has given me to be worthy of consideration, that, that is worthy of consideration, that it is not to be neglected. It's not to be neglected. The steward is the manager of the house. They look after the resources. The steward considers the best use of those resources. What the steward doesn't do is the steward does not allow those resources to manage them. The steward is the manager of the house. They position the resources that are in the house. But they don't allow those resources to manage them. They are only submitted to the master of the house. They do not allow themselves to be captured and to become enslaved in bondage again into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those things that would consume your attention if you, do, if you took your eyes off of the master's command. Stewardship is something that can only be entrusted to servants. 
We said that Christ, he made himself in the form of a servant because that was the most effective, the most beneficial form for us to emulate. Stewardship can only be entrusted to servants. And servants are those that are under a master. A servant is someone that has humbled himself, that has submitted himself, herself, to a master. That says that it, it is not my agenda that I attend to. It is not my goals that I attend to. But what is the, what is the master's good pleasure? What is the master's desire? A steward is a servant. Someone that is under a master. The good thing about being a servant is that a servant is not judged according to their own merits. They're not judged according to where they came from, the tradition that they came out of. They're not judged according to their gender. They're not judged according to the color of their skin. They're not judged according to the languages that they speak or the amount of schooling that they had. The only thing that you judge a servant by is their obedience to the commands that are given to them by their master. The only thing that you judge a servant by, a good servant versus a bad servant, is how well is that servant able to obey the commands that are given unto them. And so you can free yourself. Maybe you were not selected as being a high potential employee. Maybe you were not the one that was, that was given the promotion on your job. Maybe you were not the one that was considered to be the favorite in the family and the one that always was, was the, uh, the, the star in the sporting events. But guess what? Now that you are a servant, none of that matters anymore because you're not judged according to your own merits. You're not judged according to what other people think about you. The only thing that you're judged by is you're judged by your obedience to the master's commands. Guess what? Restoration time, generation. Restoration time. You're not judged by your past mistakes. You're not judged by your past decisions and your past failures. Make yourself as a servant. You're no longer enslaved by the bondages of your past. You're only judged by your obedience to the master's commands. By your obedience to the master's command. A servant is judged by their obedience. A servant is judged by their faithfulness. A servant is judged by their diligence. And none of that has to do with what you did five years ago. Or what's on your social media posts from three years back. Or even what happened last night that you woke up in shame about this morning. Choose today to be a servant. Choose today to place yourself under the hand of the master. And then you'll find a new standard that applies to your life. Where you're not judged according to those bad decisions that you made. You're not being judged according to the worst day that you had. But you're judged according to your obedience to the master's command. When you decide to submit yourself, when you decide to join yourself, to give yourself over to the master, that is the best day of your life. And that is the only day that is relevant 
in your eternal story. Because then your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Then your name is written in eternity among those that will bow before the King, that will be before His presence, blameless, without spot or sin, because you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're talking about preparation through stewardship. Preparation through stewardship. A steward has to be a servant. A steward has to be a servant. So when we think about the servant, they're judged by obedience, they're judged by faithfulness, they're judged by diligence. And we're going to dig in just a little bit deeper into this last aspect. When we think about diligence, that is thoughtful effort that is directed towards effectiveness. Diligence is, is thoughtful, it's mindful effort that is directed towards effectiveness. And there's so much that is in there. It means that I'm not just going around doing what I want to do, but I actually am thinking about the actions that I'm taking. It implies that there's effort. It means that I'm not going to sit back and wait for it to come to me and lament about the times that have passed me by. But I'm going to rise up and put my hands to the work. I'm not going to consider it to be someone else's responsibility. I'm not going to say, well, someone else will bear the load. Someone else will take the burden. I'm going to say, you know what? Change is needed. Change is needed, and by the help of God, the change is going to begin with me. It says that it's... it's Thoughtful effort that is directed towards effectiveness. I'm not just going to do anything. I'm not just going to rush into anything. I'm not going to make rash commitments. But I'm going to consider, how can I be the most effective at what I put my hands to? How can I allow myself, how can I put myself in the right place, in the right position, so that what I do has an impact not only in my own life at this particular point in time, but that it echoes throughout my community, that it echoes throughout my family, that it echoes throughout generations. Diligence is thoughtful effort that is directed towards effectiveness. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We just want to ground this in Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Looking at verse, it says that whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, no device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. It says, whatever you find your hands to do, don't be slothful about it. Don't do it half heartedly, but do it with all of your might. Do it with diligence. Apply diligence now. Because no matter what your plans were, no matter what your ideas were, no matter what your intentions were, there's going to come a time when you're in the grave. 
And none of that will matter anymore. All that will matter is what you did while you had the chance. How diligent were you with what God gave you while you had the chance? All of us are not going to live to grow old. All of us are not going to live to see our grandchildren's children. But some of us will. So now you need to be diligent in what God has given to you. Thoughtful effort directed towards effectiveness. And so we ask the question of, you know, why does God want me to have my financial affairs in order? Why is that important to God? And one of the, one of the principal reasons why that's important to God, one of the most practical reasons why God wants you to have your financial affairs in order is because He knows He knows that for lack of meat, you will sin. That if you neglect your basic needs, if you neglect your basic needs, that you will allow yourself to be enticed, to be seduced, and to actually transgress into situations that are contrary to your witness of Christ. Go to Proverbs chapter 28. I just ask you for these next few minutes to just, just trust the Scriptures. Just trust the Scriptures. You're saying, there's no way I would ever do that thing. There, there's no way. I've always been this kind of a person. You don't understand. I have a, a, a moral compass. I have an internal bearing that, that leads me to do what's right. I have my own sense of righteousness. But God says, you know what? If you don't have your basics met, even you are corruptible. Even you are corruptible. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 21. It says, To have a respect of persons is not good. That it's not good to, to consider someone better or in a particular place just because of who they are. It says, For, for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. It says, for a piece of bread, man, any man, will transgress. If you are placed in a situation where the basics, the fundamentals are not met, you will compromise yourself. And God knows this, and that's why he's saying, you need to get your affairs in order. You need to get your affairs in order. The second reason is that you are judged based on the order of your house. Other people around you consider you and judge you based on the order of your house. They see the condition that your house is in. They see the condition that your finances are in. They see the condition that your children, how your wife is taken care of, how your husband is taken care of. They see the condition of your home. And they place a judgment on you because of that. I'm not just talking about church folks here. I'm talking about the world. They see the condition of your home. And they place a judgment on you because of that. 
And far be it from you to say that God is my source and God is my strength and your home is in ruins and your home is in disarray. And the world says, is this the God? Is this the kind of God that they serve? What kind of God is this? You know, I love reading the Old Testament and studying the Old Testament scriptures. And a lot of times in the Old Testament scriptures, they, uh, the, the, the children of Israel, they were coming across nations that, that, that didn't know who they were and didn't know who their God was. And they had all, and those nations would have all kinds of other graven images that they would serve. And, and they would say, but, but after they got whooped up on, after God had delivered the victory, they would say, well, you know what? The God that is able to deliver victory, that's the God that we'll serve. The God that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow, to say that Nebuchadnezzar was God, to compromise themselves. And, and they were in that furnace. And, and, and the king looked in the furnace and he saw, he says, I, we put three people in there, but there's a, there's a fourth man in the furnace with them and, 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 and they're not being consumed. And they brought them out of that furnace. And even Nebuchadnezzar, for all his pride, the man that thought that he himself was God and had golden images made of himself and, and commanded the nations to bow down, when he saw what God did in the lives of those young men, God said, your God is my God. Your God is God. Your God is truly God. I thought I was God, but I'm no God at all. Your God is God. And so the world will see the condition of your home. And they're going to judge you. And they're going to judge your God according to the condition of your home. Now, does that mean that you need to live in a palace to be a witness to the king? Does that mean that you need to live, you know, in a lakeside castle? No, but it means that your house needs to be in order. That even if a king came to your 800 square foot two bedroom house, that he would walk into your house and he would see the order and the structure that you have over your home. That he would marvel and he would say, you know what? I may have billions, but the God that they serve, he is truly God. The God of this house is truly God. So the world is going to judge you according to the order of your home. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, it talks about the qualifications of those that, that can be entrusted with responsibility. And it says that, that if, you don't, if you're not able to rule over your own house, how are you able to take care of the church of God? How can you take care of God's house? That if you're not able to rule over the small things, how are you able to, to take care of greater things? You know, I've got a couple of seconds or so. I'll just throw this in here because it was, it was in my notes. Is that we're talking about restoring this, this next generation. We're talking about restoring this next generation.
young men, young, young, young women, as, as, as you are considering and, and looking at the people that you want to attach yourselves with for a lifetime. You're considering those people that you like to date. Maybe you, you're thinking that you're getting into a courting relationship. Look at their house. Look at, look, look at their house at how they keep their homes at the order that they've imposed. I say this for young women about young men that, that they want to date. I think it's especially crucial because it is a man's responsibility to take care of his home. Look at how he keeps his house. Are there trash bags all over his kitchen? Are there dishes piled up in his sink? If he cannot attend to even the little things, you think he can handle all of you? Because you, you, you're going to be a lot to handle. You're going to be a whole bunch to take care of. He can't take care of even the little small things. Listen, I want to be an equal opportunity minister. Young women, if, if you cannot manage to keep even the small things in order. If you can't seem to keep even the littlest things in control, you always running out of gas. You can't ever seem to keep your car keys with you. They're always locked in the car. If you cannot manage to keep even the small things in order, how are you going to handle this man's house? Because you know he a mess. You know he in disarray. You know he need help. You know he need help. That's why you, you are suitable. Start, start. Listen, these things are acquired over time. Over years and years of practice, your parents have been trying to teach you these things from when you were a small child. And they told you to put away your toys. They tried to teach you these things when you were in school. And they told you to make sure that you had your homework done, that you kept your schedule. And they tried to say, well, sit down and show me your budget. And they tried to show you and teach you how to get your house in order. How not to live based on your emotions, based on your feelings, but that they would be in order. Said that you would establish the order of your home. Next, why does God want our financial affairs to be in order? It's so that the ministry is not blamed. Your financial affairs need to be in order so that the ministry is not blamed. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 7, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 7 is written up on the screen for you. It says, for, you, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. This is Paul, he's talking to the, the church at Thessalonica and he says that you know how to follow us. You, you've seen the pattern that's been demonstrated to you. He says, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. That we were not out of control when we were with you. 
In verse 8 it says, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. You see how we've conducted ourselves. That even though we had the right, even though we had the right for you to take care of us, to feed us, that we did not accept your gift. We did not accept the bread. We didn't take anything for free. We weren't, get, we weren't going after any handouts. But we wrought day and night. That means that we taught the word. And then we went to work. That we taught the word, that we studied and broke down the scriptures so that you could understand them and we could explain them to you. And then we got up the next morning early and we went into the office. We went into the shipyards. We went out to the marketplace and we worked with our own hands to provide for ourselves. And why do we do that? Because we didn't want you to have any reason to think that our message to you was colored in any way by hope of gain by you. Because our source was the Lord. Our trust was in the Lord our God. And so you need to have your financial affairs in order so that the ministry is not blamed. So that the ministry is not blamed. You say, I'm a, I'm a lay person. How is my bankruptcy going to bring blame onto the ministry? Because you stood up here with the rest of us and said that you were given a pastor's compensation. And that your hands were with us on the work that we were doing. And then the next week we all found out that you declared bankruptcy. And so now those that were sitting in the audience that were hesitant, they're saying, well, that's why they went bankrupt. And it's not true. That's not why you went bankrupt. It's because you didn't have your affairs in order. They saw you holding up your offering because you like to have everybody see you give your alms. And now they know that your children don't have proper clothes to wear. They see the holes in their clothes. They see the need in your family. And they're saying, what is, what, what is going on? Are you saying that if I give my money, my children will go hungry? That's not true. You're causing the ministry to be blamed because your affairs are not in order. Lastly, why do we need to get our financial affairs in order? It's because... We need to be able to have more than enough, more than our own needs, so that we can be a blessing to others. So that we can truly be a blessing to others. And the reference for that is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting with verse 17, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Trust in the living God. The God who is active. The God who is moving. The God who is completely relevant. 
in this time in your life, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Willing to communicate. We hear this word communication, communication. We think it means talking to one another, but what it really means, it means sharing with one another. What it really means, it means imparting one to another. It means that of my essence, I'm giving unto you, and you're giving back to me because we are communicating. It's not just what I say, but it's who I am. It's a, I'm not going to be full and allow you to be hungry. I'm not going to be clothed and allow you to be naked. But my financial affairs need to be in order so that I'm able, so that I'm able to assist. That I'm able to assist others. Preparation is needed. Preparation is needed. Next generation, preparation is needed. Because right now, you are not in a suitable position for what's coming next. Preparation is needed because right now, you are not in a suitable position for what's coming next. When we're talking about preparation, we're talking about preparing our hearts. We're talking about preparing our minds. We're talking about Preparing our resources. When we talk about preparing our hearts, that means that we need to get rid of our idols and to get rid of our excuses. What's an excuse? An excuse is a lie that you tell yourself to keep you from fulfilling the will of God. An excuse is the idol that you've placed in front of your worship to God. Getting rid of our idols and our excuses. The way that we prepare our hearts is, is through love. Love demands your attention. Come on now. You know when you were head over heels, or those of you that still are, after 27 years of marriage, 26 years of marriage, Whatever, 37 years of marriage, you know that love, love demands your attention. Love demands your attention. Love demands constant connection. Love demands constant connection. This is how we prepare our hearts. Love demands directed focus. It demands directed focus. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew 22. Verse 37. It says, Thou, Jesus... These are the people, they're, they're asking Jesus, they're, they're trying to test him. They want to see what he knows. They want to see what, what, not only what he knows, but what he's made of. They want to see what, 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 where, where, where the foundation of his teaching is. And so they want to ask him, well, what's the greatest commandment? What's the foundation? What's the, what's the first thing that we need to do? 
And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. This is the bedrock. This is the foundation. This is, if this is established, then we can build. Until this is established, we can't build anything. Until this is established, everything that we build is going to fall over. Until this is established in your financial life, everything that you try to build financially is going to fall over. First establish the love. Until love is established, until the foundation is laid, everything that you try to work for, everything that you try to gather in, will only be scattered and it will come to nothing. First, lay the foundation. And the first act is love. The first act is love. You're going to need to trust the relationship. You've got to trust in God. Trust His Word. And that trust has to go beyond your past experiences. You're going to have to believe that the promise will become reality. That if God said it, that it shall come to pass. That the promise will be a reality. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Proverbs 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. Give your whole heart over to Him. Give your whole heart over to Him. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And He shall direct thy paths. Now we know, we know, we know. We're talking about preparing our hearts. That when, when we've given over our whole heart, when you give over your whole heart to that, 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 that man or that woman, there's nothing your family can tell you about them. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing that they could tell you about them. You could even see things with your own eyes that you didn't like, but you know what? You're like, you know what? I, I don't even care. I don't even care. All I, all I want is them. All I want is them. You need to be saying that to God. God, all I want is you. All I want is you. Meaning that I don't want anything else. I don't want nothing else in my hands. I don't want anything else in my life that interferes with my relationship with you. Friends have to go. Family, we'll catch you later. We'll see you at Thanksgiving. You got to get out. I'll, I only have room. I only have room. All I have room for is that first love. That first love. Anything that conflicts with that has to has to be pushed aside. So preparing our hearts, we got to get rid of our idols. Get rid of our excuses. It's based on love. It's based on trust. Preparing our minds. We need to prepare our minds. We need to prepare our minds. We need to prepare 
our minds. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about what you know. I'm talking about how you reason. I'm talking about how you value, how you consider, how you discern. We have to prepare our minds. And how do we do that? How do we do that? We prepare our minds by following proven godly examples. God placed you here for a reason. God puts you in front of your device at this time for a reason. So that you would know that you don't need to figure it out by yourself. You don't need to try to invent something new. You may come up with some new ideas, but this thing, you don't need to try and reinvent it. You just need to follow proven godly examples. Now, I know there's a whole lot that's loaded into that, loaded into that, loaded into that. So you're 17 years old. You have a friend that's 24. They seem to be doing good. They seem to be doing well. Listen, that's not a proven godly example. It may be a godly example, but that's not a proven example. Because you're 17 and they're 24, that's not, that's not time to test. They haven't seen the trials and the tribulations that you encounter over a lifetime to understand the strategies that will work. Not just the strategies that will work for the next six months, but the things that will get you set up for the next 30 years. You're going to have to hook into proven godly examples. Proven godly examples. A proven godly example will not try to get you involved with a get-rich-quick scheme. They will not tell you to sacrifice your body and to sacrifice your resources on some unproven, on some whim. They won't say, tear up your body so that you have back problems and knee problems and kidney problems and brain injuries for the rest of your life just for the hope that maybe you'll walk onto a college campus and maybe you'll be inside of a bubble in Orlando and maybe you'll earn a little bit of money for a little bit of time. Proving godly examples. They won't say compromise the now. They won't say break yourself now. They'll say sacrifice now. Lay the foundation now. Lay the groundwork now. These are the habits that you need to learn now. And these things will, will reap great benefits to you many years down the road. Proven godly examples. Proven godly examples. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, 
Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Get your, get your head in the right spot. Get your mind off of revenge. Get your mind off of quick gains. Get your minds off of payback and proving yourself to other people. Elevate your thinking. And it says that those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. I love that. It's just two letters. And it's right there in the middle of this, 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 this verse. But it's so powerful. That which you have had the experience to see, that you've received, that, that you've heard me teach. That's what you need to do. And when you do that, then the God of peace shall be with you. It doesn't say that the God of peace might be with you, that, that he could be with you. It says with a certainty. When you follow after a godly example, that the God of peace shall be with you. What does that mean? That means that I won't be worried about tomorrow. I'm not going to be worried about 60. I'm not going to be worried about 70. I'm not going to be worried about grandchildren's grandchildren. Why? Because I've seen the proven model. I've seen the example that's been set forth. And I know the end result. I'm confident in the end result. I've applied myself to that which is true. I can be content in sowing now because I know that I will have a reward. In being prepared, we have to prepare our resources. We have to prepare our resources. We have to prepare our resources through obedience. We have to prepare our resources through labor. I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to get out of this without working. You're not going to be able to get out of this life without working. God made us to work. God made us to be productive. We are fighting against ourselves when we refuse to be productive. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean I need to work 24 hours a day? Does that mean I need to work seven days a week? No, no. You need to listen to what God is telling you, to what God has put into you, to understand how it is that you can be productive. The young mother that is home, potty training their children, teaching them their numbers and their letters, is doing a great work that is without price. Without price. You try and pay somebody to do that. And you'll see. You'll see. A lot of you will see that now. Because your, your greatest expense is child care expenses. You pay more for child care than you do for mortgage, than all your other notes that you have. That's what you spend all your money on. Because you're paying for something, and now you see what it's really worth. Now you see what it's really worth.
We need to prepare our resources through obedience and through labor. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Just a little further down from where we were before, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not only in my, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It says that as you have obeyed, not only when you were under strict orders, but also when you were given liberty, that you put your hands, that you were diligent in preparing your resources. And as you were obedient in putting your hands to the work, God was faithful to work through you. As you were obedient in doing the work, God is faithful to work through you. Because it is Him that gives you both the desire and the effectiveness in accomplishing His will. We said before that in preparing your resources that you're going to have to produce more than you consume. That you're going to have to produce more than you consume. And we'll talk some more about that as we dig into this. Go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Listen, I hope you're hearing what the Bible is saying about how to get your financial affairs in order. And I want you also to hear that, that these are principles that we're laying out, that God has laid out in Scripture. That it's not, it's not just about the dollars. It's about your heart. It's about your mind. It's about how you apply yourself to every single thing that you do. Just, just know that in submitting yourself to God in your finances, that it impacts every single, it, it is reflective of every single aspect of your worship to God. That in submitting yourself to God through your finances, it is reflective of every aspect of your worship to God, of how you bow down. You can't say that, 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 you, that you know the word, that you can teach the word, that you are living the word, that you're living a saved and effective life if you haven't submitted your financial affairs to the Lord, if you haven't given Him the first fruits, the first things. Go to Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 17. Jesus, he answers, he, he, Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And at this, when he said this, they marveled at him. What I love about this scripture is that it uses the word, that Jesus uses the word render. Render. And of course, when you look up the word render, it means to create, you know, to produce. To, uh, to, to deliver. But what I love about it is, is the first part of it. 
To rend. To rend. R-E-N-D. To rend. And what that means, that's an old-fashioned word. It means to tear. It means to tear away something from the whole. When you tear something apart from the whole, that thing is permanently separated. It can't be recombined with. It is no longer a part of the whole. If we would understand this concept of rending, we could get our financial affairs in order. If we could tear, separate out that which belongs to Caesar, if we could tear and separate out that which belongs to God, then we would no longer mix. We would no longer mix the two things. And we have Caesar's things and God's things all in that same pot, all combined together where we say, oh, I I took a little bit from God and I gave it to Caesar. Oh, no, I took a little bit from Caesar's and I gave it to God. No, we have to learn to, to rend, to tear, to separate it out. And when it's separate, it can't be recombined. It's ripped away. You're going to have to learn to direct your seed so that you don't waste your seed. You have to direct your resources so that you don't waste them. The core areas where you're going to need to direct your resources. It's, it's, in, it's in giving. It's your living expenses. It's your saving and your investing. And I'm giving them to you that, that way, in that order, on purpose. I'm giving it to you in that order, on purpose. Because that is the order that you need to establish and organize your resources. First, in the area of giving. Then, in the area of living. And only after you've established giving and living, then you can go on to saving. Now listen, if you haven't established giving, if you haven't established your living, if you have not established your savings, you're not ready to invest. But once you've done the other three, now you can do the last. The first thing that you need to consider when you get any increase is your giving. God is always first. We said the foundation of all of this is your love. The foundation is your trust of getting your financial affairs in order. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. It says that a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Where's my reverence? I told you all before that reverence, that's, that's the type of fear that moves you into action. That causes you to make motions, that causes you to make changes. That's what reverence is. Where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? 
O priest that despised my name, and ye say in, Wherein have we despised thy name? And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say in, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with the curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nations. When we tithe, we set aside 10% of our increase. Of the first, all, the first that comes to, in, into our hand, of the first fruits that come into our hands, we set aside those, those, those gifts unto God. Ties there an act of obedience. It's a simple math exercise. For every dollar, God gets his dime. For every ten dollars, God gets one. You, you get nine dollars to manage, but God gets the one. The reason why we say it's first is because if, if you don't set aside the tithe, Nothing else that you build on top of that. The 90 is not going to do what you think it's going to do. You may fool yourself and trick yourself into thinking that the 90 is, 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 doing, is, is accomplishing what you want to accomplish, but it's not. First, you need to set aside for God. And then after your tithes, offerings, they come out of that which is dear to you. Your offerings, they represent your sacrifice. They say, God, I, I could have used this on myself. I wanted to use it on myself. I, I thought I needed to use it on myself. But you know, you're, you're more important. I love you more. I love you more than I love me. God, I love you more than I love me. This offering is my sacrifice that I give unto you. So the first area that you need to set aside, that you need to tear apart, is your giving, your tithes and your offerings. Next is your, is your living. Is your living. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, a lot of people read that, and they say, well, God only cares about me seeking him. Read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Verse 33, it says, but seek ye first, lay that foundation, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And now that the foundation is laid, now all these things, the things that you need, will be added to you. And I love what he talks about here. He, he says, the things that he talks about, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? Where are you going to be clothed? He's talking about the necessities. He doesn't say all the things that you want, all the things that you lust after will be added to you, but those things that you need will be added to you. For most of us, your largest ongoing expenses are going to be your food, your clothing, your shelter, and your transportation. Those, those are just the biggest areas of most people's lives. 
And when I say that, what I'm saying, the, the biggest areas of necessity for most people are your food, your clothing, your shelter, and your transportation. In order to get your living affairs in order, simplicity keeps you safe. Simplicity keeps you safe. And James, just make a note of James chapter 5, verse 12. It talks about that when you're making an oath, when you're making commitments, that, you know, keep your commitments few and keep them very simple. Don't get complicated. Don't try to, 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 to try and figure it out with second level math. It's, 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 very, it's, it's addition and subtraction. Keep it very, very simple. One suggestion that I have is that you use a three plus one banking system. Uh, the, the people, in, you know, in times past, they use envelopes. Other people use other things. But what, what it is is that, is that you ha- actually have accounts that are established. And you consider, when you consider your four basic areas, you take a look and says, well, what is the area where I tend to not be in control of my spending? Am I, do I find myself where I have a lot of overspending in food? Am I overspending in clothing? What about my, where, where I live at? Am I overspending in that? Well, what about my transportation? Am I, am I, do I find myself, I thought I was going to spend this, but now I find that I spend a whole lot more than that. And usually it's one of those areas. It's, it's usually just one of those areas that you know that you have, that you're constantly over budget in those areas. So one of the things you can do is, is, is the three areas that are, that are more in control, you set those aside. You set those aside. So as soon as money comes to you, when you get paid, when somebody gives you some money, when somebody, somebody gives you a holy handshake, when the love gift comes your way, the first thing that you do is you set aside tithes and offerings. You set aside your giving. The next thing that you do is you take that money and you set aside what you need to meet those three basics. The ones that are pretty much up to date, current, in control. And then the last thing that you do is that you set aside money for that, that, that one extra. That you may even have to have a separate account or a separate envelope for that item. Because that particular item, you're going to have to have directed focus in. If you're spending too much money on transportation, then you need to have specific focus in that particular area. Maybe, maybe you, you, you're taking Ubers and Lyfts, you know, more, more than is necessary. I, I don't know. If you're spending too much money on clothes, maybe you say, well, it was on sale, so I got three of them. And now you're over budget. You need to set, set aside that account because what you, what you want to do is you want to let that area you want to manage that area very closely, but you want to protect. You want to protect the other three. And why is that? Because when you find yourself going without the basics, you will allow yourself to be drawn into foolishness and to sin. You will allow yourself to be drawn into things that you would not normally be drawn into because, listen, you need clothes. You need food. You must have some place to live. You got to have some way to get around. 
you don't have those things, then you'll find a way to get those things. Some of the things that, that you know, I know you're saying, but for that part, I have a lot of other things than just those four that are really, really important to me. And what I, what I want to ask you is things like, like your, your, your child care, like your dry cleaning, uh, some of your supplies, some of your expenses. Now, some, some of you say these things are needed for my, for my job. If they're needed for your job, then your job should be paying for them. It's not, it's, not even your, it's not even your money. When I travel for work and I get a hotel and I get an airplane, I may, that money may pass through my hands because of the crazy way they have their system set up, but that money was never my money. It, it, it doesn't show up on my paycheck. It's not taxable. It is not, it is not my money. That, and guess what? If I think it's my money and I use it like it's my money, now I find that I'm in debt because I took the resources that were specifically directed for one thing and I used them for something else. Next is your, your savings. Your savings. And your savings, now there, there's a term that's, that's out there. It's called the emergency fund. And I don't know what you all mean by that, but I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. What I mean is that these are funds set aside so that you can deal with emergency expenses or short-term interruptions in your income. Now, the size of your fund is based on your situation. But this is how you know that, you, that, that it's too small. If your savings are too small, then you have late payments. If your savings are too small, then you get payday loans. You get short-term loans to tide you over until the next check. So an example of what is a minimum for you to have in your emergency fund is you have health, you have health insurance, you have car insurance, you have household or renter's insurance. When they gave you that insurance policy, you got the policy because you said, well, things Something, things could happen. Right? Significant expenses could happen that I'm not going to have the ready money available for. They said, well, great, we know things can happen. We will insure you for those things. But first, you need to pay a deductible. It's called a deductible. And that is the first money that you have to pay before the insurance company comes in and pays the rest. And so, if you don't have at least your deductible in your savings account, then you don't actually have insurance. Your car gets hit. The insurance company says, oh, man, that car is a complete mess. You know, it's going to take whatever thousands of dollars to fix. That's a legitimate claim. Why don't you go ahead and pay your deductible first and then we'll take care of the rest. If you don't have the deductible in your account, your car won't get fixed. 
if the car required $10,000 worth of repairs and your deductible was only $500, for lack of $500, your insurance company will not pay. They will not pay. Same thing with your health care. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you need to have this particular procedure done. And the insurance company says, well, great, we agree this procedure needs to be done. We will pay for the rest after you pay your deductible or your copay. If you don't have that money in your savings account, you can't get that procedure done. You say, but, but I need this. It's, 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 it's life-threatening. I, I need to have this procedure done. For lack of that copay, that deductible, your insurance won't kick in. So you need to have at least that in your emergency fund. Now listen, I'm just, I'm just trying to get a couple of... You know, there, there's so much more. There, there's so much more. But these are just a few practical examples. One sign that you're living expenses. We talked about your giving, your living, and then your savings. That they have to be ordered in that sequence. One sign that your living expenses are out of order, that they're out of control, is if you're constantly pulling from your savings account. If you have a savings account and you find that every month you're pulling from that savings account, your living expenses are out of order. Your expenses are out of order. You should not have to pull. Emergencies, emergencies are emergencies. Special circumstances are special circumstances. They don't happen every month. Something that happens every month needs to be in your budget. Something that happens every two months needs to be in your budget. Listen, your emergency fund is, is not there so that you cannot work for the next year. That's not the purpose of your emergency fund. It's to handle short-term disruptions in your cash flow. Listen, your emergency fund is not your vacation money. Your emergency fund, your savings, is not your shopping trip money. Your emergency fund is not your gadget money. And listen, so I know we're talking to the next generation. Your emergency fund is no one else's emergency fund. Look, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it 100%. I know I'm out of time, but you've got to hear this. Your emergency fund is not someone else's emergency fund. So because I have money set aside to pay my deductible for my insurance, you did not set aside that money and now you want me to take my money to safeguard my house to help you cover your house. What's going to happen? So now your house maybe is recovered, but probably not. Why? Because your living expenses are not in order. That's why you didn't have the money to begin with. And now your house is out of order and my house is out of order. Because I am uncovered. 
when the situation comes up, I don't have the money there to address the situation. Your savings is not someone else's savings. You're not giving uncle brother the kids lunch money. It's, it's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not proper financial stewardship. You're not going to give a short-term loan to your niece out of what you need. No. Last thing. Listen, we got, we got to get our financial affairs in order. This is the very last thing. Is investing. Once you've established your giving, once you've established you've got control over your living expenses, you've got some savings established, now you can think about investing. What is investing? Investing is the calculated acquisition of assets, of income-producing assets. Investing, it's calculated. That means that you understand what it is, that, where it is that you're putting your money. You know what you're buying. You're not buying hopium. You're not buying wishes and dreams. You're buying proven instruments that are able to produce income. Ecclesiastes 11 and 1. There, there's, just so, there's, so much, there's so much more in there. Ecclesiastes 11 and 1. It says to cast your bread upon the waters. And it's because you'll find it many days after. It says that you need to give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. But that's, what that's saying is that you need to, to put, while you have energy, while you have funds and resources, you need to put your excess to work for you for the time when you cannot work. You need to work now for when you cannot work. Back in the olden days, they would always have this, this thing of where you could just amass a big old pile. And, and if, you, if you got a big enough pile of money while you were working, then it, you would be set for when you could no longer work. But now, because our government is corrupt... And our money system is corrupt. Inflation is such that there is no pile of money big enough that you can accumulate that will keep you all the way through until you die. And so you need to place your money into income producing assets. That means that your money needs to work now and even when you cannot work. Because there is no way that you can work now and gain enough to keep you until you die. It's, it's, it's not, it is not, it is no longer possible. There was a time in our country in the 50s, in the 40s, when you could do that, but you can't do it anymore. The whole, the game has changed. The whole system has changed. It used to be all you need to do was to pay off your house. And you would be set. But many of you know that, that, that are in a, in a process now of paying off your house. That the money that you were once using to pay off your house, 
Now you owe that money in property taxes. And so you say, well, I thought I was going to get a relief and I would have a financial windfall once I paid off my house. But now I see that the money that I was setting aside every single month to pay on my mortgage, I need to set aside now to pay for property taxes. And when will property taxes end? As long as you have the property, you will have property taxes. So that's why you need to have income producing assets. Investing. Investing is not the same as gambling, gambling or speculating. It's not the lotto mentality of I'm going to put some money in today and I'm going to get a big pile of money later tonight or tomorrow. It's speculating. It's, it's based on what we call the greater fool theory. The greater fool theory. What that means is I'm going to buy something that I know is not worth what I paid for it because a greater fool is going to pay even more for it in the future. Look at the stock market. Companies that do not make any, that do not generate any profit, that have expenses that are way outside of what they bring in, are selling and trading for obscene multiples. What that is is the greater fool theory. I'm going to buy this worthless stock because I know that there's a greater fool out there that's going to pay even more for it and I'll just sell it to them. That's not investing. You're, you're waiting for, what you're waiting for is you're waiting for the pandemic to come and for everybody's convenient shopping to be put on hold and those companies that had inflated earnings and, and ridiculous business models to find out that they don't actually have any cash. And we're not talking about dot-com or fly-by-night starters. We're talking about established companies like Hertz that find themselves unable to continue as an ongoing interest because they were trying to, they, 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 they had a model that was not at all in line with reality. It was all based on momentum. It was all based on hype. It was all based on excitement. So when is the time to get your affairs in order? Listen, the ministry lines are going to be open. There's, there's no way we can cover all this in one message. We're going to be talking about this for quite some time. The ministry lines are going to be open. If you have questions about this message, if you've got questions about salvation, if you're saying, you told me that, the, that my financial house was a reflection on my belief in Jesus Christ. My house is a mess. Are you trying to tell me that something is wrong with my believing? If you got questions like that, if you just have questions, I think that I need to make a decision. I think God is calling me to put my money in a particular investment. Is God calling me to put my money in a specific investment. They will answer those questions for you. Call 512-255-1959. I saw an advertisement that I could get my IRS judgments reduced or even canceled if I gave these people my money. Do you think that is the right thing for me to do? Call. 
call today. You need to get on the phone now and keep dialing until you can get through because you need an answer. When is the time to get your affairs in order, to get your financial affairs in order? Right now. Right now is the time. Proverbs 6 and 6, it says, Go to the ants, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Just look at how God has structured nature. Look at the ant and understand the lesson that God is trying to show you through the ant. And then you'll be instructed that it doesn't even need any, any prompting. It doesn't need any goading. It doesn't need any motivation. It doesn't need a deep down burning or passion. It just does what it needs to do. In the summertime, it gathers in provisions. When the harvest comes and food is available, it gathers in that food. Why? Because it knows that there will be a time when the food, when the resources will not be available. And then it will be able to pull from that store. Then it will be able to pull from that store. Now is the time for us to gather in, to store up, to get in order that which needs to be in order. Because the time of testing will come. You say the time of testing is here. You know what? Actually, I thought 2019 was a time of testing. You know what? I'm going to be honest. I thought 2018 was a time of testing. I didn't know that 2020 was going to be an even greater test. What's going to happen in 2021? Everybody's expecting these, these V-shaped, these U-shaped, you know, whatever shape recoveries. But you know what? Black people have been catching it for the last 500 years. So no, I'm not hoping for some, 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 some great recovery, some, some return to the way that it used to be for other people at some point in the near future. I'm making plans now to be where God wants me to be. And that's what we need to do. That is what we need to do. We have to get our affairs in order now. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.com.